Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Ask a Doula Giver. It's going to be a good one. We have today Hadley Vlahos, and let me just give a little bit of background. She is a hospice nurse, but she is an end-of-life educator, and she has really just come on the scene with this fresh way of sharing about end of life, which you all know is the number one fear in the world. So she is a hospice nurse. She is a mother. She is a wife and she is an end of life advocate. And she has a new book that we are going to talk about and we're going to get into a great conversation. So welcome Hadley. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Me too, because I was just like, oh, we could talk for hours and hours about this because we speak the same language and it's going to just be wonderful for all of our listeners. So the first thing I do want to share with people, because I think it's so instrumental in our journeys, is your own personal journey. And I know that you had somebody close to you die suddenly when you were in high school. And I feel like, you know, one of the things that we want to remember in in life, especially working with those at the end of it, is that everyone has a story and everyone has a journey. And, And many times people, we don't know each other's stories, but there are moments that really are traumatic and painful. And there's also those same opportunities that sometimes reroute our path or break us open to questioning. So can you share a little bit about that? Because that is really, again, I I love listening to that because I feel like that directly relates to, to where your work is now, in a sense. Yeah, it absolutely is. So when we were 15, the first football game of the season Um, We were all in the stands, you know, all of our friends and um, my friend Taylor Haugen um, was on the field playing and he went to catch the ball in the end zone and jumped up and caught it. And um, two players from the opposing team hit him from both sides. And I now know that it essentially burst his liver and he actually was able to run off the field, which is amazing. And so we all watched this and then he collapsed on the sidelines. So EMS came over. So of course we saw him getting into the ambulance, but we'd also seen him run off the field. So I was like, oh, maybe he hurt his leg, you know, like you don't think something like that. Um, So he went and I was like, oh, he'll be, he'll be fine. You know, we're 15. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It's a football game in high school. Exactly. And so the next morning um, showed up with my friend um, to like a school church car wash and um everyone was crying and they said you know he died and I was like oh someone's grandparent must have died and like no Taylor Haugen died and I could not could not conceptualize that at all and for the longest time I just thought that he was going to just show up again and you know it, it just like was not real for me and I really really struggled with it and moving on and accepting it Wow. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's those moments, um, especially when you're young in your whole life and, and, and like, I think there's threads to that. You watched him, you literally watched him run off the field. So there's no way that you can put together those things, but they set us on a path and they, they start to break us open, uh, to, to seek out in different ways or know that, you know, what's going on here. So I, I love that. And then, you know, you, you share the story of you at 19 getting pregnant and having a baby and being shunned by your community. Um, do you want to share a little bit about that? Cause that, again, I feel like you, you were still like in that early discovery of rawness and then you had this beautiful gift and, and it, and it wasn't quite received that way. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, yep. So I got pregnant, um, right after freshman year of college, uh, going into my sophomore year, the summer of, I found out and, um, yeah, it was not received well to say the least. Um, I tried to make the best of it. Um, but it was really, really, really difficult. And, you know, I had to leave the university I was at. I had to leave my sorority, you know, all the plans that I had for life. And, um, that's how I ended up in nursing simply because I knew that it was two years and it would provide a stable income for me and the baby. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, that's exactly what was supposed to happen. 100%. Like I'm where I'm Uh supposed to be. Uh, Yeah. A million percent. And I think it's those, those moments in our lives and experiences that allow us to be so present in our humanity and compassion for others when we're on the other side of them. So I applaud you. I want to also tell you, I went through a similar thing, not at 19, but I did have a baby um, and I did go to nursing school to make sure that I could provide for that baby. And it was all meant to be, and it's the best thing ever. So I love that. It's beautiful. Okay. You became a nurse. You were working where when you first graduated in the hospital? So I did a year internship in the hospital, which was during like my last year of nursing school. And then from there, I did not get my dream job in labor and delivery, which also I now know was meant to be, but I was devastated at the time. (laughs) Um, So I went to work in an immediate care clinic. um, And then from there, I took a job in a nursing home. And that is when I first saw hospice. You know, in nursing school, they don't really introduce it much to us. Um, but I finally got to really see it in the nursing home. Cause you know, we had hospice patients. Sure. Beautiful. So, so tell me about your path to hospice then. tell me about what that, what that route looked like the call. Yeah. So I was a manager, um, on the nursing in the nursing home, but I was also just being a nurse most of the time, you know, how crazy it is in nursing home. So I'd be running around like a chicken with my head cut off, just trying to get everyone their medicine, just trying to really, yeah. keep people off the floor, not falling and just trying to, you know, just survive. Yeah. And just, yeah. I remember running by and just seeing these hospice nurses just sitting with these patients for like an hour, just one patient just sitting there. And I was like, I can't, how, how, like, is this really like a type of nursing where you just sit there? And then they'd come to me, you know, being the nurse on the floor and they'd be like, this is the plan. This is what we're going to do. And, you know, here's where they are. They're a little bit scared. And, you know, this is what their family's like. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like yeah. you have time to sit there and do that. Like this yeah. is how medicine should be. Like, this is what I want right. to be a part of. That's right. Um, it's interesting because I, I think again, I, I often will say that time and our presence is the best medicine we have to give to one another. And it's virtually impossible in mainstream medical. And I feel terrible for all the doctors and nurses and CNN and everyone who does all these, you have a million patients and nobody's happy and nobody's really getting the care that they need. So time is beautiful. And so did you then leave the nursing home and go to be a a hospice nurse? Yep. And I've never looked back. (laughs) Well, you might be looking back a little bit because now you're a hospice educator, but that's okay. (laughs) I love that. Right. Well, no, I still do work as a hospice nurse today. Yeah. Well, who knows what the future will happen and you will. (laughs) And and it is really, and it is really beautiful because, and it's interesting because I, I was a nurse in the mainstream hospital and I wasn't happy. And I saw things that really broke my heart, you know? And I was just like, is this what I went to school? Like, there's gotta be more. And I kept hearing, go to hospice, go to hospice. Meanwhile, and I knew it was end of life care. And every time I thought about it, like my heart expanded, you know, there was something too, but I had no experience. 
And the first day that I went to see hospice patients, um, shadowing another nurse, I knew I was in the exact place I was supposed to be. And I never looked back, but just like you, the universe sort of has, um, God, whatever our belief system has a plan for us. And I think that for those of us, especially right now in this moment in time that have this experience with the truth of end of life, with the sacredness of end of life, coming out and sharing that so people can, in a practical way, prepare for end of life, in a beautiful way, understand that one day this journey, as we know, it will not be here. So we live a little bit different. And also the, the intense grief we have right now when people die, that maybe, again, I'm saying maybe because I never want to tell people what they need to believe. I will always be honest, but, you know, maybe life never dies that it's just, and, and for, and we're going to talk about your book and your bedside, the in-between, because it's so wonderful. Um, us being privileged to see that with our patients and experience that completely changed my life. And I want to share that. And we, and we need to share that with everyone. So let's, so, okay. So let's talk about where you started educating. How did that happen? And I love your TikToks. It's amazing. So creative, so entertaining and so loving to the point. And I was just like, oh, it's really great. So when did you start thinking, let me do some education on this? So it happened uh, by chance, for sure. Um, During the beginning of the pandemic, March 2020, when we had really no information, and as you know, they're saying, uh, put a scarf around your face and come to work, and we we had no idea what was going on at the time. Um, And then the schools closed, too. Um, My husband is a doctor of physical therapy for a low-income state-run facility. He's the only physical therapist there. And of course I'm working in hospice. And so both of our jobs are saying, we need you. Um, And we, we couldn't decide whose job was more important. Um, Called my parents um, who live basically on a ranch, like a farm remote, and they came and took the kids. So I made a short video for my family and friends to kind of share what was going on. And I ended the video saying like, this was never our plan. (laughs) Um, But we promised we would care for people and that's what we're going to do. And so I, the, I thought TikTok was a video editor actually. So I made the video on there, posted it. That's the only way you could save it still is. And it got like 2 million views and people were just asking all these questions and they were like, what kind of nurse are you? And so I just started answering questions. That's how there it all are started. No, there are no accidents, Hadley, no accidents at all. And it's just so interesting. And especially we were never busier with our work and doula givers with the pandemic because everyone now was so scared. They were at home and, you know, they really wanted to know what do I need to like help any, any which way. So I'm not surprised. And it was such a good time for that. Um, I love that. So let's talk about how, how did your book obviously probably came about because of this huge explosion in, in um, the education and the TikTok and everything. Talk to me, if you would, about the very first experience you had with a patient that really changed your life and said, wait a minute, if, if you know, you can pinpoint one, and then I know we have so many that we'll talk about. Um, do you want to share that first experience? Yeah, the first one that was really very pivotal for me in my book, I call him Carl. Of course, that's not his real name, yeah. but that's what I call him. Yeah. And we, I had him for about eight months, um, but really? he, I got him like, you know, after you go through the training and they give you 
your patients, he was one of that first group, but I had him for a long time. Um, So I got very, very, very close to him and his wife and, um, you know, just trying to connect with him, you know, how you're sitting in a home and you're just looking for anything to connect with people. And he was watching sports. And I said, um, tell me about sports. I don't really understand it, but my boyfriend at the time, now my husband, he just, he's obsessed with sports. And so that was kind of my little, let's connect. And of course you do that. You know how that is. And, um, so we started telling me about sports and I was like, oh, you know what? You're going to make me look so smart to my boyfriend. Like you're the best. And we started talking more and he learned that I was a single mom and he would start like writing down all events for me. Cause he's just bed bound sitting, watching the news all day. And so I'd show up and he'd have a little uh, piece of paper for me with like all the current events. So I could stay updated. And so we got very close in that way. And he had experiences such as surge of energy and seeing deceased yeah. loved ones. That was very, um, I had seen it before, but this was the first person that I like really knew and trusted that I was like, I know that he is at, yeah. absolutely seeing this. Yeah. And, um, right before he died, um, he told me, thank you for giving me something to look forward to instead of death, like giving him something to do. And that was when I was like, wow, like this is, this is what I need to be doing. Like, this is my calling. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting you say that because I feel like we don't train, just like you said, it's not in nursing schools about hospice. It's not in medical schools about hospice. In fact, it's the opposite in medical schools. We've taught our doctors how to keep people alive, sometimes to a fault where there's no quality of life. And that's a very unfair thing to do to them. And so um, when this shows up at the end of life, which by the way, as much as we try and avoid it and run away, it's hundred percent. One day that journey will be there. Um, I think there's so much that doctors and nurses and just people in general, when we have this knowledge, there's, you know, when people say, I'm sorry, there's no more I can do for you. There's so much we can do for them. Right. Just look, you connect with a man and ask them about their sports team and to teach you. And like, you know, it's, So this is really, really important. So that's absolutely beautiful. And we only get one shot at it, right? So if we don't do it then, that's why I love that you're out here. Tell me the name of this book, The In-Between. Explain explain that to us if you would. Yeah. So I always say that I sit with patients in the in-between. So basically it means that they're in between our world and whatever comes next, in my opinion. You know, they're in that in-between. And of course, you see this, I see this, where people seem to go, in between in that last week, they seem to go to that world and then come back to us. And that's always been the most interesting to me. Absolutely. And, you know, I have to share with you that I, I call it, um, one foot in this world and one foot in the next. And I say, there's, there's a time when they get their spiritual eyes and their spiritual wisdom. And, and you know, what's so beautiful is that physics is validating this. So this, the study of physics is saying, yeah, we're energy. And as that physical body is diminishing, the spiritual body is raising. And there's one point that they have one foot in this world, one foot in the next. And that's why I believe they can see their loved ones and they can see you. So Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to share. And it's also, look, if you are with somebody that says that they see their mother that they haven't seen in 35 years or all of the beautiful things, which we're going to have you share some of your other journeys, you will never look at life the same way. Because not only are they not fearful anymore, but they're almost excited about the next step. 
So it is, and you know, it is the most profound experience to be with somebody at the end of life. And it's such a shame. And to me, one of the reasons why I feel like we're in such chaos is that we've removed death and it's the greatest teacher about life, um, presence and compassion. So I love the in-between because you've got it. And that is where you will change your life. You will change your life in those experiences. It opens up a whole other doorway. So do you want to share a little bit more about that or some stories you'd like to just, or tidbits you'd like to highlight um, for listeners that you've seen in that space? Yeah. So that same one, since I've already kind of given a background on Carl, um, who I was very close to. Mm -hmm. So like I said, he was bed bound the entire time I knew him. Um, Mm -hmm. Just he had CHF, so just could not get out of bed, do anything really. Um, so one day I showed up for a visit and he was not in his bed and I was like, oh my goodness, he died and they already came and got him and no one told me and I freaked out. And then I heard him and turned around and he's walking around and I was like, oh my goodness, what is going on to his wife? Who's right behind him, making sure to fall. And she's like, um, I was hoping you were going to tell me what is going on. (laughs) I I don't know what's going on. And he's playing hide and seek. He's like, you know, where are you? He's looking behind curtains under the bed. Like this man who has not been out of the bed wow. like, is like kneeling down, looking under the bed. Right. And, um, okay. you know, he's like, Anna, he keeps saying Anna. And I'm like, who is Anna? Like, I know every one of this person's family. Um, mm-hmm. And so I asked his wife, who's Anna? And she's just shell shocked. Um, and she's like, Anna is our daughter. She was two. Um, she drowned. And he's always blamed himself that he wasn't there. But I mean, he wasn't there at all whenever it happened. Yeah, no, I, yeah. But he blamed, you know, the dad's supposed to be there. And he's always blamed himself. And I was in shock. Um, I had never even heard of Anna. Um, and she just was like, oh, my goodness. So he's playing hide and seek with her. And he's uh-huh. seen her. And, you know, people will say that it's like hallucinations. But then I go up and talk to him. And he's like, hey, Hadley, like, he knows me. You know, he also sees me, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he does that. And, you know, very soon after he goes back bed bound the next day and then goes into a coma and then dies a few days later. But it was quite incredible to witness. So Hadley, had you known about deceased loved ones coming back at this point yet um, when this was happening? So I had seen it, you know, once or twice, but Uh it was with people who I didn't know that well. And so, you know, other hospice nurses had told me and I was like, that's so intriguing. But to have someone who I knew their medical history, I knew their baseline so well. And I knew that we hadn't added any new medications. And you know what I mean? All of these things that could be the variables. Yeah. Yeah. I was the only one who took care of him. So I knew that it was none yeah. of those things that people, the naysayers will say. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that are so beautiful there. He had the surge of energy at the same time. So he was actually able to like get down, look under things. I mean, I love this so much. Um, and then, and then you knew him so well. So you knew that he was seeing exactly what he was seeing. There's no doubt in my mind. And I'm the same way I've worked with families and you fall in love with your families all the time. And when they have those experiences, they are those experiences and they are not only life-changing, but like open up a whole nother perspective. Um, That's incredibly beautiful. It's interesting for me at my hospice, I was hired as an RN, but I had no end of life experience and they didn't teach me any end of life. And so they taught me the, they taught me the medications, 
But they also said, okay, you know, if you have any questions, just let us know. And we'll like, you know, teach you as you go, which is really intimidating. So the surge of energy, (laughs) yeah. So the surge of energy and these kind of things, like I, what's happening here? Like I would walk in on certain things. And then because I've done hospice and oncology nursing with a lot of people, you have these experiences that happen that again, like you are complete, you know, life changers in the most beautiful way. So I love that. I love Carl. Um, I, I love that whole experience. And I think it's beautiful. So then you go on in your book and talk about lessons that you've learned, you know, within different dynamics. So would you share some of those just poignant lessons about whatever you like, you think is, is what we want to hear? Because I know that, you know, the reality of knowing the truth about end of life can be so inspirational and healing. Um, but we're really in a very, very complicated time. We're in an intense fear-based of death. We don't prepare for it. And then also intense grief. And I think they're combined. So if we don't prepare for it and acknowledge death when it shows up, it doesn't go well. It usually doesn't go well. And so what, what else would you like to share about what you've learned that you want people to know working with those at the end of life? Yeah. One that was really, really big for me for a life lesson. I call her Elizabeth in my book. Um, you know, going in, I had an eating disorder that I felt like I hid very well. And I felt like she saw right through me and I don't know how, but she did. She 100% did. And I was just sitting there, you know, sitting in the bedside charting and, um, she was young and, you know, forties, like young for a hospice patient. And, um, she had lung cancer with no known cause, never smoked a cigarette in her life. Picture of health, just so unfair, so incredibly unfair. And, um, she, you know, she's sitting in her bed, I'm charting and she was like, I need to tell you something. I've had a lot of time to sit here and think, and I need to tell you something. And I was like, okay. And she was like, you know, I spent a lot of my life on the treadmill instead of spending time with my friends. And, mm-hmm. you know, she didn't have anyone around her when she died. She wasn't married. She just didn't have anyone around her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, I skipped out on birthday dinners because I didn't want to have to eat the cake. And I didn't go to the beach because I was afraid of how my stomach looked. And she was like, you know, I see myself in you. And I just wish someone would have told me at your age to eat the cake. And I was like, wow, okay. Yeah. And that was, um, you know, I I have not had a moment since then, you know, that was like the last day of my eating disorder. Had very moments of weakness, but her, you know, words have rang true, repeated in my head so many times. She has no idea how many times. Hadley, that's so beautiful because, okay, let's go back to like their spiritual eyes. So they, so they get all of this wonderful that we all have access to, by the way, we just usually squish it down and don't like think with our heart and our wisdom and that guided system, but more with the head. And she's coming to you from that higher place that she could, you know, really resonate with what you were going through, but it was from that beautiful place of non-judgment and love, unconditional love which is so omnipresent at the end of life. I'm going to cry right now. It is so omnipresent at the end of life that 
And that's the connection you feel when you're in that space. And that's when, you know, I've had people wake up from a nap and say, I get it now. Like, I understand why all that happened. And they can make sense of like things they've been holding on in anger and guilt and shame for so very long. And she was able to give you this gift from this pure place, not of judgment, just that I, and I, and also she saw you. So she resonated. And I love that you took that in, in that way um, so that you can have it. And you know what, guys, eat the cake. Yeah. Eat the cake, whatever flavor you want, um, which leads me to believe there is a story that you share about a young patient and the wisdom that, and I call them our little masters, right? Because they really teach everyone in their beautiful world about so much um, before they actually physically leave this world. And so there was a young one that talked about not wish they didn't worry so much what other people thought, right? Yeah. 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 And, and we want, we want people to take this, these pearls. Um, so can you share a little bit more about your young hospice patient? Yeah. Um, well, I'm trying to think which one you're talking, to, not in the book you're talking about from TikTok, right? No, I'm talking about, it was an excerpt here and let me just, yes. let me, I'll paraphrase it. It's really, yeah. a, it's about that. I wish I didn't worry about spend so much time worrying about what other people thought in my life. And this is like, we can all uh, the time that we have, right? The gift that we have in this experience is such a gift and it's so valuable and it's our greatest commodity. And we we both know, and I think everyone knows now that, especially since the pandemic, that death can show up at any time. Doesn't matter how much money you have, right? So yeah, yeah so, the, so what we've learned about people on their deathbed, and that's really important, what they want you to share with others so that they can live, just like this beautiful woman that you just had sharing with you, eat the cake. We have other patients that share things and that we've learned that can make our lives today better. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, and I've definitely, you know, taken that in and stopped caring so much. And, you know, it's prepared me, especially, you know, for the book and for being online, you know how that is. And it's important to really just yeah, say, you, know, I was just, you just live your life how you think is best. You have to. And so, yeah. So one of the things is living from your heart, not your mind, because at the end of life, when we see people really come into their beautiful heart, they're being part of you. You know, we've been taught in this world to kind of diminish the, the, the heart and let, let the ego the mind, the judgment run ragged. And so end of life teaches us that we're all so much more similar. And also our patients talk about similar things like that. We're all connected and I'm going home or I'm going on a trip like these universal laws. Yeah. And I want to applaud you again for, you know, when you say going online, it's like when you go into your heart and know that you're supposed to be doing something, you have to do it with everything you've got and not be attached to the intention or what's happening because we do live in a world and there's lots of reactivity. And when you put yourself out there online, you know, there are people that are, um, let's just say not in their highest awareness that sometimes do things. And again, you just have to know that what you're doing is landing for people. And, and I applaud you. It's just what it is. Um, we can't play in that small space. We have to play in the heart space. And it's a beautiful thing that you're doing because you're really, really reaching a lot of people. And we need that so much right now. So a couple of questions to wrap up. What would you, um, what would you want to share is, probably one of the things you want people who are fearful of death, what, what do you want them to know from all of your work in combination? Just what would you say to somebody? I would say, you know, what I think is really important is that I was a skeptic um, completely. 
And I think that's important to share because, you know, there's some people who, who never have moments where they question things and good for them for sure. Um, but whenever people are fearful of death, you know, I'm sure you're not, I'm not scared of death. Um, and I think it's because there's that confidence in knowing that there is something after just because of what we've experienced. And so I want people to know that I was extremely skeptic. I was extremely scared of death. Um, and through these experiences, I'm not anymore. I feel very, very confident based on what I've seen that there is something after this life. I love that happily. So not only, I mean, not only is there something else in my opinion, it sounds so incredibly beautiful and loving and amazing. I really feel like this is the hard part, right? This is the school of life, learning our lessons and getting back to that heart centered. So I love that very much. And I think the same would would benefit people who are suffering right now from complicated grief. Um, loved ones, I hear this all the time and I see these posts online that, you know, I wasn't there when my loved one died or, you know, we weren't prepared and it didn't go well and holding on to all of those, I wish I could. I think that this bigger picture, especially, you know, the phenomenon on people dying when somebody leaves the bedside. Yeah. Happens all the time. So the bigger meaning that life continues on, um, can comfort us not only in this thing called death, but also this thing called life. And then I want to ask you, what do you think the point of life is then? And what can we learn from death as our greatest teacher about it? Yeah, I think the purpose of life is to learn lessons. I really do. Um, I think we're here to learn lessons and to help other people along the way. And I think that we're always impacting people around us in ways that we don't know right now, but I do think that we will know one day. And I think that we'll be shocked. You know, I think I always think about that. I'm like, you know, that person that I said, I liked their hair in target. Did that like give them the confidence to like go do something that changed their life? Like, I think that there's more instances of that, that we'll learn one day that we just have no idea about. And so I think that that's, you know, what we're here, we're all kind of walking each other home is how I feel. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's the point of being here. And, Mm -hmm. you know, once we have accomplished those tasks, I think that's when we get to go to the next life. I agree, Hadley. That's beautiful. And I often will share with people, you know, in, in the way that I live is really trying to live each day, like a little lifetime you know, trying to just, and like you said, be present, be kind, acknowledge people um, because you don't know the journey that they're on. And that one thing that you say, even recognition can be something that changes their direction. We need to get back to that. And that's free. Like that doesn't cost anything. And so one of the things I recently had, had shared is that our legacy, how we show up each day is our legacy. And it just means showing up in love, you know, in presence. So beautifully said, my dear. Okay. Last question for you. Um, What would you like to see or what do you hope we see in 10 years from now regarding end of life conversation education? I think I think that we are already on the journey. I am very impressed how much has happened in the last three to four years. I really am. And I hope that we continue Um, I really hope that we, the next step I'd like to see, I think the public is getting um, Mm -hmm. more open to these conversations. And the next thing I'd like to see is really a collaboration with the hospitals to where there is enough education to where they understand when it is time to 
call us because so many times I'll see where I look at the history and physical and it's like, they go into the hospital and they give them fluids and they send them home because they can't do anything else. And I think that they don't understand they could have called us then. And Absolutely. it's taking their resources, you yeah. know, there instead of being able to do other things. And yeah. that is what I hope the next wave of education is that everyone understands this is when it is time to call hospice. Um, these are the conversations we need to start having. And the first conversation should not be whenever we show up at the house. Uh, I agree so much. So if we brought back that, you know, it's almost like at a certain point in our, you know, you do your annual physical at a certain point in, in those years, maybe whatever people pick, we should start focusing on that conversation that there'll become a time in our journey where we'll switch from trying to fix to really managing and comfort. I mean, just knowing that ahead of time that, and then, oh, the day is here. Like, yeah. you're really, prepared. Prepared, beautifully said, and also letting our doctors off the hook because they are not, they're not enjoying this. This is not working. No. They went to the profession to help. We need to all walk forward together. And you're right. We are way into it already. I think in 10 years, you're going to see this whole incredible shift. And thank you for being such a major part of it. Okay. Hadley, let us know where we can get this beautiful book. Yeah, it'll be everywhere in all stores, yeah. Amazon, online. So exciting. Um, and it'll be out June 13th if it's not already out when you're hearing this. Yep. Okay. Wonderful. So we'll put all the links below as well. Um, I'll put your social media. I want you guys to go to her TikToks and stuff. You just, you know, you will just be so, it's so fun the way she presents this and it's so educational at the same time. Hadley, thank you so very much for being on this episode of Ask a Doula Giver. And you are such a gift. I can't wait to do another one with you. Congratulations on the book and to be continued, my dear. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everyone. Welcome again. I enjoy this conversation and we'll see you in the next episode of Ask a Doula Giver. We welcome all your questions. I'll be answering them. And again, we'll put her links below. Thanks everyone. See you in the next episode.